Mental health is talked about a lot more than it used to be, and it's a lot more normalized, but it still takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable, to share about your mental health journey. And that's why I'm so grateful that Anna would come be a guest on my podcast today and share about her mental health journey and the role of social media and why she ultimately decided to delete her social media accounts. Do you ever find yourself turning to your phone without even thinking about it? Or do you get sucked into scrolling and regret not using that time for something else? You are not alone. I'm Alex, a screen time mentor for young moms, and I'm here to help you get a grip on your own screen time so you can be present, intentional, and live a more fulfilling life. Welcome to the Mindful with Media podcast. We have Anna here today, and Anna is going to be sharing her story about deleting social media and her journey of mental health. So thanks for being here today, Anna. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Will you start just by sharing your your mental health journey? I was thinking about this question this last week and throughout the last couple of years, I've thought like, if I write this down someday, what will I include in it? You know, cause there's, there's so much to a mental health journey. So yeah, I kind of outlined it. I was like, okay, this is the sparks notes of the last five years in my life. Okay. Awesome. Um, so most of my life, I've definitely been in the like high achieving workaholic perfectionist, just like a, a very go-getter, but stressed out person area like that. That's definitely how I would categorize how I've been throughout my life. And I just thought that was normal. That was my personality. That was kind of the box I'd been put in. And then I got married and it just kind of took a turn for the worst. I think I, I'd done a lot of good with that throughout my life. And I mean, unbeknownst to me, there had definitely been suffering, but it was, it was very balanced out with healthy activities and whatnot. And then I got married and I always like preface this. I'm like, I love my husband. He's great. It has nothing to do with him. You know, this is just like the way the words fell. But yeah, I got married and I just kind of fell into depression and just extreme anxiety and loneliness. And I, I'd never really experienced thoughts of self-harm and suicide before, but it was just all of a sudden it was just so prevalent in my life. And yeah, it was really hard. It was really shocking. There was a lot of trying to figure out what was going on. And over the years after that, it would just go like up and down. It'd be like, I've got it under control. I'd come back again, got it under control. And I think I found, I would say band-aid coping mechanisms where it like treated the symptoms of what I was going through, but we weren't getting at like the root of where is this coming from? Why does it keep coming back? And there was one year, I can't remember how long we've been married for, probably, I think we've been married for three years. And I just had this year where there was just a lot of trauma in my life, a lot of like living circumstances and relationship trauma. And I'll get into this later. And what I understand now, I was going through like extreme relationship OCD. Mm. And yeah, this is hard for me to share because I don't share this with many people, but I'm like, I want to be brave and put it out there just so that people who go through this in the dark know there's lots of different types of people that go through this. 
but I did actually have, unfortunately, a suicide attempt at that point in my life. And yeah, it was just, it was shocking. We hit rock bottom and it was just like, hey, things have to change at this point in time. And I actually, I was pregnant with my daughter at that time as well. And so it was just, there's a lot of, a lot of emotions around that, you know, cause people think like, Oh, like, how could you feel that way when you're pregnant? And it's like, a lot of times that's when it, it hits really hard for people because you have hormones added in with the mental health. Yeah. So that happened. And that really caused us to just buckle down and be like, we need to do whatever we can for me to get better because this is just, this isn't going to work anymore the way that I've been living my life. And so at that point I had started therapy and it had been good. I mean, not like obviously hadn't made a ton of progress with it, but we just really buckled down and we did a lot of therapy like individually and as a couple to try and help support me and get me to a good place. And that particular therapy that I was doing was really focused on boundaries, which was helpful, but it was not successful in treating what I was going through. And so I I got to a better place and I was like, I'm good, I think. (laughs) And so I stopped, I, I finished up therapy at that point and I had my daughter, my second child. And I was kind of thinking of it as like a finished project. Like I finished my mental health journey. I'm done with therapy. I'm healed. healed. (laughs) And then I had my daughter and I was just like, something is not right. I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's not right. And, and again, I now understand I was going through extreme postpartum OCD with my daughter and So it just kept getting worse and worse and all of my previous symptoms and things I'd struggle with started coming back. And that's always a red flag for us. Like, okay, especially if there's ever thoughts of self-harm, that's when we're like, okay, what's going on? Something's really bad if this is coming back into my life again. Um, So I went back to my previous therapist and I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm in the same place. And she was kind of like, I've like done everything I can. Maybe you have ADHD, go get some testing done. And I was like, what? ADHD? Probably a scary place to be when your, your therapist doesn't know you're like, <laughs> you're supposed yeah. to help me. Like, <laughs> you're like, I was really relying on you having all yeah. these. <laughs> so yeah. So she sent me to just go get some, some more testing done. So I went and got testing done at this point, there's just tons of life changes. Like my husband was finishing grad school. We we're trying to buy a house. We were moving and, and all of this stuff. And I, I got a new diagnosis and they were immediately like, Oh, you have OCD. No question. And I was like, really? <laughs> I had jokes about this my whole life, like from people close to me. And it was, it was that it was just a joke. And I'd asked my therapist at one point, I'd been like, do you think I have OCD? And she was like, no, you just have tendencies. And I was just like, okay, like didn't even question it. You know, like, yeah, trust you over my own gut and my body. And this just barely happened like last August. So this has all been very new. (laughs) How old were your kids at this time? At that point, my daughter was just about to turn one. And then my son would have been two and a half at that point. So this is where I'm excited to tell this part of the story because the other part is like, you know, sad and heavy, but it took me a long time to try and find specialized OCD treatment because 
there's long wait lists for that special kind of treatment. And I found one out of network, but I didn't want to be paying tons and tons of money. And so I ended up just joining a group therapy session through an OCD and anxiety clinic for something called body focused repetitive behaviors, because I'd also self-diagnosed myself years before I'd been like, I have skin picking disorder. Like I can't stop. I don't know. And then I found out it was a thing. And so when I went and did all this testing, these people were like, we can't get you in for OCD help, but we can get you in for BFRB in a group setting if you want to. And I was like, sure, I'll do anything. Please sign me up. So I, I started doing that and just learning lots of good skills. And then it ended and the lady who was running the group, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I have a spot open if you want to do OCD treatment. And I was like, yes, that would be awesome. So I just barely started that in November. And actually last week, I just finished. I did eight sessions with them and it's seriously insane how different my life is. When I was doing work with my previous therapist, it was a lot of focus on like boundaries. And so it'd be things like, oh, listen to your body. And like, this is making you anxious. A boundary is probably being crossed. So we need to get more rigid about that and have people respect it or like protect ourselves. And the problem with OCD is it will find a reason to be anxious about everything and then start performing compulsions to protect you from the anxiety. So I feel like my last therapy, it was actually like feeding the OCD monster because create more boundaries, more and more. And like, you know, it can just leach into everywhere in my life. Whereas this treatment is, I'll just give an example of today. I had this friend who has been trying to set something up with me and I've just been really busy. And so she's been like, like text bombing me and I've just been avoiding it. Cause I'm like, I am so overwhelmed. I don't know. And today I realized I was like, wait, like I'm running away from texting her. Why? Huh. Like, this is making me anxious to text her. Therefore I should text her because I need to be uncomfortable and I need to do these things that make me anxious to help my body learn. It's okay to be anxious. Things actually aren't as scary as we think they are. So that's a lot of the treatment is just like purposely putting yourself in the situations you're afraid of and doing it over and over again. So that over time you stop trying to like fix or avoid things and that's what's taking up all the time in your life is just like the fixing and avoiding. And yeah, so that's fascinating. <laughs> I feel like your story so far, I really relate to all those points. And I think kind of going back to like that, that hard, dark part, like it's scary when you, you do these things or you have these thoughts that, I don't know, I think you think like, oh, this happens to other people. But like when when it's happening to you, it's really scary. And so thank you for being willing to share those, yeah. those experiences. Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, that experience of facing the anxiety and not just running away from it. I think that's something that I talk a lot about on Mindful With Media is it's really easy with our phones and with screens to just run away from whatever uncomfortable thing we're feeling and yeah. mindlessly scroll social media. So you don't have to feel that uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, so totally. Very relatable. <laughs> Do you have anything else about like your mental health journey you'd like to share? 
I think it's just interesting to look back on my life. Cause again, I'm not like, Oh, I'm recovered. Cause you don't really recover from OCD. It's kind of like your lifelong partner that you just try to keep in check. So I know with therapy, it's so nice knowing that it's a tool that I can always go back to if I need it. But this therapist taught me a really important life lesson. And that was self-reliance. I remember when I started with her, I was like, so like how many sessions do you think I'll be doing? And, you know, and she was like, oh, like I'd say like six to eight. And I was like, six to eight. I worked with my last therapist for like two years. And like, well, the goal is to help you be self-reliant and be able to just do these skills on your own without a therapist. And I've thought about that, like with my faith too, like that's exactly how Jesus Christ was. He's trying to train people to be self-reliant so that they can help other people to be self-reliant. And I never thought I would be in that place with mental health. And it's just so empowering to still have bad days at this point in my life and be like, I have therapy, but if I dig deep down, I've learned so many things that I can just like pull on and use myself. I love that concept. And, and I really love what you said about this mental health journey is continuous. It's not like it's just because you've ended therapy doesn't mean it's over. Like, yeah, we'll have bad days. It's still a journey. And, and that, you know, looking ahead some, cause I totally do that where I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like I think, <laughs> now like I'm (laughs) I'm done with my with my mental illness but like you say it's it's a journey and a process and it's it's going to be forever which is a little bit of a daunting thought but we won't go there (laughs) like accept that that could because I feel like in the beginning when I would talk to just people close to me it was always like like this will go away and like someday this will be a distant memory and it was like what if it's not yeah. And I think people to sit with that and be like, like, of course I have the faith that like people can be healed from anything, but also I need to be prepared to potentially have this forever and still try and thrive, you know? Yes. And, and like, and learn the skills to be able to, to live with it. And yeah. to, like you say, and to even thrive. Yeah, totally. That, that's really powerful. <laughs> Thanks. That seriously, such a cool story. And, and and you're still living the story, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Not over, but your journey so far is mm-hmm. amazing. And I'm really happy that you, you feel like you have the tools and skills to be in a good place. Thanks. Oh, this is something that I was going to say that when you were talking about like being self-reliant and having the skills to, to draw on and the tools to draw on in those moments, or every day really, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like with my experience, I did a lot of therapy and it was helpful in a lot of ways. But for me, it wasn't until I started taking medication that I was actually able to use the tools I had learned in therapy. Like I knew the tools and the skills, but then I would have a panic attack or an anxiety attack and I couldn't I some I couldn't use those tools, but now that I'm on medication, it's not like all of a sudden my anxiety has just gone away. Like I still 100% deal with anxiety, but I'm in a place where I can actually use those tools that I've practiced and worked on. And that's a huge thing. And that they talk about in therapy is like, 
if you're having a hard time doing the homework, then maybe it's time to start a medication just so that you can start using the tools and then you can always try and wean off of it. And like, yeah, I I forgot to include that. I was on um, an antidepressant for, I think about two years. I went on it right before I had my son and then I weaned off it right after I had my daughter. And yeah, I, I definitely feel like at that point in my life, there were some really great things that it did for me for sure. Yeah. And, but you felt like the side effects were not helpful. It, it wasn't helping in the way you wanted it. Right. Yeah, definitely. I remember like when I would go on it, I went on it. And at one point I upped the dosage and those two specific times, I feel like the main thing it did was it helped just take away the thoughts of self-harm. Mm. But, and so that was like really kind of why I went on it was to just help with that. But then yeah. it got to or is like, I'm still experiencing these and I'm on this medication and there's all these negative side effects with the medication. Like, let's try something else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like pro, everyone has their own journey and you have to figure out what that is. And like, don't shame if they do or don't do it, you know? Yes, I, <laughs> I believe that in every aspect of life, right? Like, hmm. I totally believe that there's not one right way to do things. And sometimes it sounds like it'd be easier that way, but you do have to figure <laughs> uh, it out for yourself. Yeah. What works. I'll be doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, I had one more question. When you were really struggling in that really rough part, kind of like after you got married mm-hmm. and you don't have to go into this if you'd want to, but I'm kind of curious about what role your husband played in this? Cause often you say like, we like, yes, this anyways, like what, how did that look? And what was that like? Um, honestly, in the very beginning when it was just like, what is going on? Like Garrett, my husband, he was just so, he was so Christ-like because I feel like he, his main role was just to hold me, like just hold me through everything and just like cry with me and just support me and love me. And and that was so hard. Cause I was like, I was not like this before. Like I promise this isn't like my real identity, you know, but then it, it reached a point where I was like, it kind of does feel like this is my real identity because it's not going away, you know? But yeah, I honestly, I feel like Garrett just, Garrett just supported me. I mean, I, I really pushed for marriage therapy for a long time. And it was, it was definitely hard to convince him to do that because there's such a stigma. Right. Yeah, totally. And I just feel, I feel so grateful because I feel like him being brave and coming and doing that. And now the way that it's made him an advocate for that, like anytime we come across other couples who are considering it, he's just so great about that, you know, cause everybody has, that stigma, and especially I think with men. And so for Garrett to be able to just be like, like, no, like we've done it and it's great. And it, it doesn't mean you're about to get divorced. You know, if it's, you're doing it's a great, it's often the opposite, right? It means you're in a yeah. good place because you're, <laughs> you care, you care enough to go and do that. And yeah, we have been in this journey together. We have done so many of the hard things like setting boundaries and starting to do things differently in our families and being the unpopular people for being that way. And he's just, he's stood by me through all of that. And I'm just so grateful for that. That's amazing. So let's kind of go back to deleting your social media accounts. Do you want to just share that story? 
So that was the hardest part of my life. It was right after my suicide attempt. And we just reached this point where we're like, whatever we have to do, we will do, you know? And I just remember like we had moved somewhere new and we were still struggling in like quite a few different relationships. And one morning I just kind of had the prompting. It was just like, you should just delete your social media. And I was just like, okay, if that is something that will help me heal, I will do it, you know? And it was interesting because I I'd had fast from social media before that point. And I'd like consider it, considered it because I knew family members who had done it. And I always thought people who did that were like so cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> but I, I was one of those people where like, I didn't necessarily post about my own life on social media. So that wasn't my like hang up on deleting it. It was, I, I was such a proponent of, it does so much good for us. I had moved different places where it was like, the only reason I knew about that place was because of social media and the connection and, you know, just mission experiences. I was like, I think social media does so much good and I don't want to lose. It was like FOMO. I don't want to lose my reservoir of connections and just all of that help and whatnot. And yeah, I just had the prompting to, and I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And so I guess, yeah, that's, that's what I did. I just did it. Most did it right and you, you like full on deleted. It's not just like you deleted the apps, like you full on deleted all no, your social media. Like, well, I had Facebook and Instagram. And so I deleted my accounts and then it's kind of tricky because you're like, I deleted social media. I'm like, no, I still have YouTube and Pinterest for sure. <laughs> Well, I've never had TikTok and I have like a messenger account on Facebook and I'm on like our community page, but that's okay. it. So that's I'm not like cool. access some of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how that impacted you after you deleted that. So I think going into it, I was I was kind of prideful. I was like, oh, I'm not that big of a social media person. So I don't know that this will make a big difference because I'm not like that person taking pictures and posting them all the time and like, you know, commenting on everything. I, I wasn't like that, but I still couldn't believe the difference. I definitely felt my anxiety levels go down so much after deleting them. This was one example, even though I didn't post very often, still like for the important things like my kids' births. So with Finn, my oldest when I still had social media, I remember it took me like, I think like a month or so to just post about his birth because I was like, I have to take a cute picture and I'm not paying for newborn photos, but like, I still wanted to stage something in my apartment. And so I was just like putting it off, putting it off. And then I had like family members who posted before me and they're like, we're not waiting anymore. You're taking forever. And then I like finally put something up and he's like a month old, just because of that mindset. I was like, I just want it to be like, you, his first picture, you know? So my daughter, my second, I didn't have social media. And I was talking to Garrett about that. Like there was no, no thought of that. Like, oh, we need to make sure we take a cute picture of her and like announce her birth on social media. Oh, like the people who need to know already know. And it's a thing that I have to like think about or just have about that impacting you. But like, yeah. Do you find, cause I think I'm in the same boat where I'm like, oh, I don't really think about, I need to take pictures for social. Like 
I don't think I do, but maybe I do subconsciously. Like, have you noticed, I don't know, like when you're doing things as a family or when you're on a vacation or something, does it impact how many pictures you take? Yeah, no, I think because I didn't post it, it's not a huge difference, but still the thought of like, oh, I forgot to take a picture for myself to have forever versus like, dang it. Like now I don't, now I can't post about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So much more like sincere. And that was one thing I thought of too. I think when I was in that place before I had the prompting, it was just like, I felt imposter syndrome on social media because I was like, here I have all of these like accolades and I'm supposedly like successful and thriving, but nobody knows my mental health journey. And I remember actually a girl that we went to high school with posted about all of the same things. It was actually one of my really good friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could share that, but I'm not at that point in my life where I feel like I can. And so it was just like, I think probably just some loneliness, like nobody that sees me on here actually knows like the, the level of pain that I'm experiencing for such a prolonged period of time. And this is just so inauthentic. I've totally felt that. And I, I mean, I have this whole platform on social media. Right. And so it's been hard for me to find that balance of like, look, I'm still on this mental health journey. Like I'm in a better place now than I was a year ago, but I, it, I was in a really bad place a year ago, like n- not healthy, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like frequent panic attacks. And like, I don't think social media is always the right place to share all of those really personal things, you know, but it can appear that your life doesn't have those things because you're sharing more of your normal life than you would just like on the street with someone, you know, like it's kind of a weird place that way. And it's not always appropriate to share those things, but then it's like people have this perfect life when they don't, and maybe not even perfect, but like that they don't have these like really, really hard things going on. Yes, totally. Totally. I'm curious. I feel like for me, and maybe this wasn't for you, but I feel like social media can very easily be a distraction. And I'm curious after you deleted social media, do you find that other things are distracting on your phone or? Oh, totally. Totally. It's like, I remember, I don't really read the news anymore, but back when I did read the news, anytime I would have a fast from social media, I was like, I'm really invested in the news now. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, yeah, anytime I would delete that, I was like, and onto YouTube. And then now it's Pinterest and yeah, I, I totally think, yes, I think that's probably just natural and human. You know, when you take away one distraction, like something else is going to take its place to compete for that spot, you know? Exactly. I think, uh, what's that book deep work. I'm pretty sure it was that one where he talks about like, I'm making things up now, but basically this, that's that exact idea where like he got rid of all technology, but then he was still distracted by a book or I don't remember. I I should look up the actual thing, but that exact thing, there's always going to be something else too. It's just life. And it's that mindset of like, I must arrive at this place where I no longer experience the human experience, which it's like, 
no, that's just part of being a human. <laughs> exactly. Get <laughs> down into control, but like there will always be that noise. It's like trying to come in. And it's like you say, like, you got to get to the root of the problem instead of, I know this is something we've worked through with therapy where like, we'll have something happen. We meaning my husband and I will have something happen. It's like, well, like once our son sleeps through the night, then that won't be a problem anymore. Or like once like this doesn't happen anymore, then then that's not the problem. And it's like, totally a problem. Like, you know, social media isn't the problem. Mm-hmm. I think like distraction. It's like, yeah, we got to get to the root of this. Like, how can we deal with distraction mm-hmm. or the, the anxiety or the OCD? Yep. Let's get to the root of this. I think so much of it too, is just being willing to be different, you know? Cause it's just like, yeah, like with social media, like, are you willing to let go of it? If that's, what's right for you. Or are you willing to be different? Like maybe you're surrounded by lots of people who are super negative about it and you're the different one because you're on it. Like you just have, I think the deep work is basically discovering like what is important for me and can I stand alone in that and still have peace? I love that. This is kind of a theme throughout our conversation. What's right for one person is not going to be right for, for someone else. And you have to figure that out. and not just do things because everyone else is doing them like Mm -hmm. mindful about how things are impacting you and then make a decision about that yes that's super interesting um is there any way that you use screens or technology to support and help your mental health yeah so I was I was trying to think deep on that one I was like Kind of. I I think as I've started like my therapy journey, I've really gravitated towards physical objects. So like physically writing something down versus typing notes in my phone and physically holding and turning the pages of a book for like reading one on my phone. That's what works for me. But that being said, yeah, I definitely, I was like, I will never delete Pinterest. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? I I still have to like work through those things because it is a social media platform. I definitely, I think I use Pinterest just to support like my hobbies, which definitely helps mental health. Um, I love that. And definitely YouTube has brought me great solace when I'm going insane in the days of motherhood. Like the days when Garrett comes home and he's like, I'm like, ah, and he's like, you just go take a break. And if I'm like not motivated to go like on a walk or like go do something productive, I've had many days where I just like go in an armchair, (laughs) lock the door and just like watch my favorite YouTubers and just laugh for like 15 minutes. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good now. You know, I love that personally. And what was the other thing? Um, oh, I, and I love, I think this is kind of tied into Pinterest. I love reading blogs for sure. Mm. Um, besides food blogs. I don't know if that's a hot take, but I'm like, just give me the recipe. Like stop. (laughs) I saw this thing that was like, what did it say? It was like every food blog is like this super fast recipe that you have all the ingredients on hand for first go out in your yard and milk your, your cow. And then and I'm like, that is so true like yeah I'm like I'm sure if I were like a nutritionist or like a baker I would be like eating that up literally but I'm like no just please like especially 
jump to the recipe button. Yeah. I think it's probably something like for ad purposes. You oh, know? Sure, it's all related to money, but so I'm, I'm like, like blog, we would be like, no, please, like, be more merciful. Oh, but I was gonna, I was gonna say that before I got into therapy with my current therapist, I just finished up with because she was in network with my insurance. I did a few sessions out of network through an online platform and it's called no CD. So it's basically just like, it's kind of like better help I would say, but for OCD and that was, and and I would say that's a social media platform just because it's an app and you know, it's an online platform. And that was really helpful for me when I was very first dealing with my diagnosis, just because it was so like earth shattering and I'm like questioning everything. And then I have all of these people in this community that I can just go be like reading through what they're posting and looking at like specialty groups and blog posts. And, and I would say something like that for me, especially in the beginning was immensely helpful in my journey. That's really cool. I'll have to link all of these things in the show notes as well, just because it's really scary when you, well, at first, like when you realize that you're, you're dealing with something that you don't have to feel this way all the time and then not knowing like what to do with it. It's like, okay, like how do I find a therapist or like, how do I get help? Where do I go? So Mm -hmm. it would be helpful for people to see, look, there are, there are resources Yes. Yes. Those are really fun answers. It's fun <laughs> to think about that. Like I'm all about, yeah, using screens and technology to support our values because there's so much good that come because of them. And we just live in this world. It's like, it's not going to go back. It's just going to keep getting more intense with screens. So we have to develop a healthy relationship with them. Yes. Embrace the good and use all the good that we can and then be aware of what's not serving us and mm-hmm. and avoid it or get rid of it or set up boundaries to deal with it. Because yeah, like you say, we can talk all we want about how we wish we didn't live in this age or whatever, but, but we it, do. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. The last question I wanted to talk about, and then we can always go back if you have more thoughts on other things, but what advice would you give to someone who is on a mental health journey? So that's the only question I left blank when I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, oh, I'm feeling in the moment. (laughs) But I think, well, there's two thoughts that come to mind. So first, I referenced like someone from high school that had opened up about their journey and how I was just like, oh my gosh, like, like I was so sad, but also I was like, like, it, I almost felt community in that because it was just like, yeah, someone that I knew that I was close with and like we're dealing with similar things. And I remember it was a few months before that really horrible time in my life. I actually went on a double date with one of my high school friends, me, me and my husband. That sounds weird. Me and my husband <laughs> on a double date with one of my high school friends and the person she was dating at that point. And we both just like randomly started talking about this friend, just like, if you had contact with her, like, you know, like, yeah, like we want to help, but it's, it's hard to make that connection at this moment in time. And I don't even remember how it came up, but I just mentioned, I just kind of said, I was like, I've, I've dealt with like a lot of the same struggles 
And this friend was just like, oh my gosh, thank you for being so open. I have two. And I was like, what? You you know, I don't know. You just never know who it's going to happen to. At what point it, it can happen to anyone at any point in their life. And so I think that's helped me in I, I'm still, I think I'm still scared to talk to people about it for sure. But experiences like that help me to know, like, sometimes you have to be the first person to say something about mental health to then like open the door for the other person to also share. And like, I even experienced that it was a few weeks ago, I actually bore my testimony and yeah, I just had like the prompting to talk about mental health. And I was like, oh, because my work, <laughs> like... like really young people and 50% over the age of 75. And I was just like, oh, I really want to like throw this out there in this board. And I was just like, yes, because it's about my relationship with Christ and like how this has helped that and helped me to feel like how he feels towards other people. So I shared it and it was really scary and then after this girl that's in a play group with me, she just kind of talked to me in the hall just in passing. And she was like, hey, like, I really identified with your testimony. And I was just like, oh, maybe we would have never had that conversation. You know, like, yeah. I don't know that group. I'm going to be like, oh, hey, everyone. So I have OCD, you know, <laughs> more like a more in private thing. That, and it's not, I'm, it's not that I'm ashamed of it. It's just at this point in my journey, that's where I'm at. Yeah, uh, appropriate context and appropriate, or not context, but just uh, there's appropriate times to share and appropriate times not to share. But yeah. being willing to be vulnerable, because it it is scary to to be the first to say something. Yes, because you, you open yourself up to misunderstanding, which makes an already painful experience even more painful. But again, that's where it just goes back to, like, I feel like in the last year, I've I've really done a lot of work with when I am offended, it's about me. It's about what I'm sensitive to and not the other person. You know, it's not about like fixing, like even (laughs) this is going all over. (laughs) That's okay. Um, Even like just a few weeks ago, I was telling Garrett, I think, and I was not, I wasn't planning to talk about this a lot, but I just, this is just where it's going. I was telling Garrett, I had the realization that for the longest time after my suicide attempt, I blamed the people in my life that I had toxic relationships with. And I was like, I would paint it that way. I was like, and I was in some really toxic relationships and it just got so bad that I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. And so it was going on their back. It was like, they are so toxic. Like they are killing me, you know? Yeah. And I had this realization the other week and I was like, wait a second, a normal, healthy person can have relationships that, and I use that word carefully, normal, you know, like a person who is in a healthy state of mind can have relationships where there's a lot of like discord and still be okay. And so for me, I look back on that now at this point in my life and I'm, and I paint it that way. I'm like, I got in a place where my relationship OCD was so bad that it almost took my life. And so that puts that back on me. It's like, and not even on you, but on this disease, right? Yes, totally. Separating you from the disease, but it's much more empowering because you have control over that when you can't control other people. 
no, no. And like, it's, it's almost just put me more in a place of like, just welcoming and being able to sit with that. And that, that reminds me of something else. I was also experiencing, so I would say like the, the times it was the worst in my life was like, obviously when I was pregnant with my daughter, when all of that went down and then I had really bad postpartum OCD after I had her and it got the worst when I very first moved here because I was experiencing something called, I think it's called misophonia. It's not technically OCD, but it's similar just with being affected by sounds. And I was just experiencing that really intensely in the living situation I had moved into. And I remember like at one point when I was very first working with this therapist, she talked about the concept of when something is happening, that's extremely distressing for you to just like put your hand on your heart and be like, it's like that. And I was like, that's stupid. (laughs) There were so many things that she first taught me that I was like, it just felt like, so like rainbows and unicorns. I was like, that's just so cheesy. I'm not going to do that. But then I actually had that moment where it actually connected in my brain with my heart. And I was like, wait, it's about accepting, like, this is how my life is and I can't change it. And I just accept that. And so I started hearing these noises that used to just like send me into extreme anxiety and panic attacks and whatnot. And I would start hearing the noises and I was just like, instead of like making these plans of how can we get out of here as soon as possible? And like, when do I send a noise violation? And should I text them? And like, how can I fix this? And like, take away the distress, just being like, okay, this is my life right now. And that's it's okay. Like that. It's like it's that. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of been really my journey is just learning to accept everything. Like my relationships, like, well, it's like that. I can do self-work to a point, but there will be a point I'd just be like, and my relationship is like that and it's okay. <laughs> That's, uh, this is good for me to hear. I feel like there's so many situations I can think of where I'm like, okay, that, that's what I need. That's how I need to handle these situations. Cause I, I always want to try to control things, right? Like, yep. <laughs> control things, but it's like, okay, like it's like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And kids are such a great exposure for that. Exposure <laughs> therapy uh, at finest. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. So true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that. This is how kids are. And mm. that's how it goes. You have so many cool thoughts. You are the coolest person. Oh, you're so nice, Alex. You always make me feel so good. <laughs> no, seriously, like the more I talk with you, I'm like... I don't know. You just are so deep and so level-headed. Oh, actually, today, though, like, I did practice because I was going through that situation where I was talking about with my friend who's text-bombing me. And yeah. I finally turned to Finn. And I was like, I'm just going to pretend, like, you can have the back of the conversation. I was like, Finn, I just feel like this is going on. I'm like, this is what I should do. And he's just, like, you know, playing away. And I'm like, good talk. <laughs> That's actually probably really healthy, though. I mean, for you and for him to speak out loud and to explain, you know, to verbalize, put a name to your feelings, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. I think when you actually speak something out loud or just write it down, like it's crazy for me sometimes how long I will let myself like be going through mental compulsions. And then I just sit down and I just like write and I'm like, oh, I'm fine now. Like, why did I do this for so long in my head? Or like vice versa when I'm driving and I just start like 
talking. I honestly think that's why therapy is so effective. Like a lot of my therapy sessions, I feel like it's just self-discovery. You're like, oh, like your therapist doesn't even say anything. And you're like, I've just by saying this out loud, I now realize this is the solution. And like, thanks for listening. Here's your hundred dollars. <laughs> so true. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm the same way where my notes app on my phone is that's how I solve all my problems is if I'm ever feeling you know, just like off. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm specifically anxious about. But if I just open my notes app and start writing down what I'm feeling, then it's like, oh yeah, like you say, it's usually like not as big of a deal as I'm working it up to be. Yeah. Get it out. Wonder too, like, have humans always been like this? Like, have our minds always been this busy? Or like, I'm reading that book I told you about, Hunt, Gather, Parent. I'm like, or people like, let's just make the tortillas and like move on to the farm. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I I think, I don't know, but I assume our society is very different because life used to be more slow paced, but now it's like get as much done as you can. And we never even have a moment to think because we always have a screen right there. Yes. There's, there's just always some, you know, like I just think our society is more fast paced. And so our brains are working faster that's what I assume I don't know yeah I don't know either but I I do think about that (laughs) like like back in the day you had a lot of moments just to be still and just to think but now (laughs) it's like like really when do I just have moments to think yeah okay is there anything else that is on your mind before we finish up today I would just say on your last question, I don't know if I'd ever really answer what I would tell someone who's, who is battling mental illness. I would just say, read memoirs about other people, because that was a turning point for me just with my treatment was I read a memoir of, it's called Is Fred in the Refrigerator by Shyla Nicely. And it's basically this lady, my therapist recommended it to me because she was like, she's really similar to you. Like we're doing so much with our mental illness that's kind of fed by it. And so it's like, oh, you're productive. You're doing great things with your life. Like what's wrong? You know, Uh, it's like, it's what's the, the reason behind why we're doing those things that's not making them fulfilling. Um, so I read this memoir of this lady and she's basically like super successful. She's doing so much, but just like, her life is a living hell with OCD. And then she gets a specialized treatment and she basically quits her successful career and goes back to school and becomes an ERP. That's exposure response prevention on trained therapist and treats people with OCD while she still has OCD. And so like reading her memoir for me, was just so good because I was like, this lady does this full time and she's still experiencing these things on a daily basis. And like, it's okay. Like she's working through them. And it just like, it kind of adjusted my expectations of like what I would look like out of therapy. Yeah. Except like, okay, I'm at this point and it's okay. Like I can move on and try and do this, you know, by myself now. So I just feel like read memoirs because there's something healing about 
just hearing other people's journeys, hearing the touch points of their journey, and then seeing where they are out of treatment. Because so many times we're like, oh, like I did that, but now I'm here. But I feel like, especially with mental health books, it's like, and here's how I am now working through this, still having it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I would just say like, read, read memoirs and know that everybody has a journey and it will, it will go up and down. But I, I definitely, I feel like when I've been in my darkest times and I've had loved ones tell me like, it will get better. I honestly don't believe that. I honestly like believe like, no, for example, this has been going on for five years. Like, how am I still going through this? It's not getting better. And I feel like I can now say, okay, it does get better and it might get worse again, but it can still get better after that. And it's those moments in between that you just have to go out and like have those experiences that you want to have that you want to keep living for. Because those are the moments that remind you, this is why we're living life. And this is why we should keep living life. I believe we should stop focusing on the negative aspects of screens and start using them as tools to support our values. We are the first generation learning to navigate this media-saturated society, and it is not easy. You don't have to be perfect, but as you are mindful, technology can be a tool to help you thrive. We're in this together as we figure out how to live a present, intentional life in this world consumed by screens. If you appreciated this podcast, would you make sure to leave a review and subscribe? I'm so glad you could be here today, and I'll see you next week.